My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 124, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 5, 2 Chronicles 7 and 8, and Psalms 64 and 65. 1 Kings 5 When Hiram, king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent his envoys to Solomon. Because he had always been on friendly terms with David, Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his foot. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God. And the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. When Haram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased and said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. So Haram sent word to Solomon. I have received the message you sent me and will do all you want in providing the cedar and juniper logs. My men will haul them down from Lebanon to the Mediterranean Sea, and I will float them as rafts by sea to the place you specify. There I will separate them and you can take them away. And you are to grant my wish by providing food for my royal household. In this way, Haram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and juniper logs he wanted. And Solomon gave Haram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil. Solomon continued to do this for Haram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, just as he had promised him. There was peaceful relations between Haram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel, 30,000 men. He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month, so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stonecutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workers. At the king's command, they removed from the quarry large blocks of high-grade stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple. The craftsmen of Solomon and Haram and workers from Byblos cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. Second Chronicles 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the first coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever." 
Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him. A vast assembly, people from Labo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day, they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent people to their homes, joyful and glad in their heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all people. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them, that is why he brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built the temple of the Lord and his own palace, Solomon rebuilt the villages that Haram had given him and settled Israelites in them. Solomon then went to Hamath Zoboah and captured it. He also built up Tadmor in the desert and all the store cities he had built in Hamath. He rebuilt Upper Beth Haran and Lower Beth Haran as fortified cities with walls and with gates and with bars, as well as Balath and all his store cities and all the cities for his chariots and for his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the territory he ruled. There were still people left from the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These people were not Israelites. Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land, whom the Israelites had not destroyed, to serve as slave labor as it is to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of the Israelites for his work. They were his fighting men, commanders of his captains and commanders of his chariots and charioteers. They were also King Solomon's chief officials, 250 officials supervising the men. 
Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, My wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because the palace, the ark of the Lord, has entered our holy. On the altar of the Lord that he had built in front of the portico, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord according to the daily requirement for offerings commanded by Moses for the Sabbath, the new moons, and the three annual festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. In keeping with the ordinance of his father David, he appointed the divisions of priests for their duties and the Levites to lead the praise and to assist the priest according to each day's requirement. He also appointed the gatekeepers by divisions for the various gates, because this was what David, the man of God, had ordered. They did not deviate from the king's commands to the priests or to the Levites in any matter, including that of the treasuries. All Solomon's work was carried out from the day the foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid until its completion. So the temple of the Lord was finished. Then Solomon went to Ezion, Geber, and Elath at the coast of Edom. And Haram sent him ships commanded by his own men, sailors who knew the sea. These, with Solomon's men, sailed to Ophir and brought back 450 talents of gold, which they delivered to King Solomon. Psalm 64. Hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning, but God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. All people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder what he has done. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer to you, all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those who choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who form the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who still the roaring of the seas and roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonder. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and you carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. So we read yesterday how eager God is to bless his people, to bless Solomon in response to the people in Solomon's obedience. And today we read about the temple for the Lord's name being built and dedicated. I love the Lord's message to Solomon where God said he selected this place, the temple, for himself. This was his design, and it was our obedience that was heading us in the right direction in terms of the story and our purpose and that interconnected, our submission 
to him and were acting as representative leaders for him in Earth as he designed. So then he says, my people twice, then my name, my eyes, my heart, my ways, my laws. Then he said, my laws again, twice, right back to back. My word, then second to last, he says, my eyes again, and my name last. So after God's people, God's name is first and last. We are from him. He is with us. And he wants us to choose to put his name first in our hearts and his name on display. It's the first and the last. Oh, I love it. It's the first and last my of the message, it seems to be. I, I just love how many times God is saying my here. There's this ownership of which we already knew, but of creation. And I just sometimes feel when we're reading the Bible... We're reading about all these characters and people, and we're thinking and reflecting on ourselves as individuals, probably, and socially and collectively. And we should. All of that's wonderful. But I just love this moment where, I, I don't know, for me, it's just like so abruptly reminded, this is God's story, and we're a part of it, and He is the owner of it all. I mean, yes, He gave us a portion of power, His power and authority. It's all His. And He wants us to use that power to represent Him, and He's giving us this amazing choice and option, and it will lead to blessing for us to bless others. And the second to last is about God's eyes. So that was sort of in the earlier part of the message and the latter part of this message that God was saying to Solomon. And I see this discussion of God's eyes as this important perspective-taking moment where we prioritize his way of seeing things as we've been learning over and over again in the story so far. And that can be really hard to do because I know in business, we often will use, for example, the stakeholder perspective and we think about the consumer's perspective, the employer's perspective, obviously the stockholder, the investor's perspective. We think about our supplier's perspective, society's perspective. But I think this is just such a critical and important thing. It's to prioritize God's perspective first and foremost, transformatively in our lives, and then being willing to submit to that. I think it's so critical. And I just find that obviously it's not in the business models that we use, but as followers of Christ, taking and prioritizing God's perspective on things, I think is where we really learn his wisdom and can take that into justice and fairness where we work and where we live and in our families. I just really like this message from God to Solomon. I just feel like there's so much to chew on and how many times he says, my, for me, is just special. We are reading about God's blessing and Solomon's obedience, but the author continues to point in little and sometimes big ways to Solomon's folly as well. So in this story we read about, it's, it was almost like you were pulled out of the story for a second. We read about his acknowledgement regarding his wife or one of them, the daughter of Pharaoh, needing to be separate from the house of David, assumingly because she follows a different faith. We have already seen patterned out in the story that foreigners can choose Yahweh God and become a part of Israel. So this tension between a wife, which is supposed to be one flesh, needing to be separate because she has chosen to remain separate for faith reasons, or maybe Solomon is just putting her outside of it. I don't know. The Bearing the Name God Mission Project. I just see this little snippet story thing as, ooh, red flag, little, little somber moment, right? I can't be sure of all the details, but it is. it seems to be the author injecting 
reflecting this murkiness that doesn't quite line up with the order God has created from the very beginning. And I'm referencing Genesis 2 in my head regarding husbands and wives and Deuteronomy 17, 17, what he talked about with, you know, not having many foreign wives because it will create this tension that can turn your heart away from God. So I don't know about you, but it's hard to read the wonder of God and the obedience of the leaders and the people in so many amazing ways. But at the same time, there's this like darker thing like disobedience looming. And we know this runs this risk of turning the leader's heart away from God. And may we all take note of this and of the things that God has told us in his word and put on our hearts to put down, to put aside, or make right in order to keep the faith and continue God's story with strength and courage. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.